Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Distraction Pieces Podcast, episode 447. Thank you for tuning in. I'm joined this week by one of my favourite people in the world, a multi-time return guest, Kay Tempest. I've known Kay for years and they've always just inspired and amazed me. And Kay's been on the podcast multiple times, but this is honestly my favourite chat that we've had quick bit of 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 housekeeping only because when I mentioned Kay was going to be on the podcast on my Twitch stream a few people didn't know that um a year longer than a year ago now Kay came out as non-binary and dropped the Kate the, the T from their name using the pronouns they them and I, I mean Kay explains all of that beautifully and eloquently when they were last on with Polar Bear. So we did an end of year roundup, I think 20, no, Christmas drinks we did, I think 2020. Um, So go back and listen to that episode if you haven't already. And honestly, I mentioned it, I'm not sure if I mentioned it on mic or off mic, but I've had loads of chats with Kay over the years, obviously, obviously off podcast and on, on podcast. And this was the most themselves I've ever seen them. Uh, you're going to love this conversation. Kay seems so at peace, so aware of who they are, where they are. Fucking beautiful to see. It really is. If this is your first time tuning in, as said, I've had Kay on loads of times. I think three previous times, twice on their own, and then once with Polar Bear. But yeah, they're all good, but this is my favourite. So listen to this one, then go back and listen to all the others if you want. Kay actually posted a um, an old video from outside a Immortal Technique concert in Elephant and Castle, I think, on their Instagram recently. It was so dope seeing the young, eccentric Tempest that um, I got to know all those years ago and got to be a fan of all those years ago. And then to watch the journey and development to this point where they're just a complete artist in all different areas. It's it's dope. Anyway, before we get into it, speechdevelopmentrecords.com is where you can get all my merch. In fact, you can buy my Edinburgh Fringe show, which if you get the DVD version, there's a chat between myself, Kay, Polar Bear and Moose Rock Wonga, as well as me being interviewed by Tim Key. There's all sorts of extras on there, uh, basically. As said, previous episodes with Kay. Also, go and check the episode with Cecilia Knapp recently the episodes with Polar Bear in the past, with Moose Rock Wonga in the past, with Tim Key in the past, all the people I've mentioned, all worth going and digging into the, the back catalogue. I was talking on my on my Twitch last night about um, Jean Grey, so go and check that episode if you're a fan of, of, of MCs. Speaking of which, actually, twitch.tv forward slash Scroobius Pip, yo, you might not think you're into it, but you can currently go and watch a stream I did last Wednesday where I just answer questions from you lot about my lyrics. I called it Words Wednesday. It's easy to go and find if you go to twitch.tv forward slash Scroobius Pipio. It's all free and, cl- and click on the videos bit. It was like a 90-minute chat with just the the watchers throwing in questions about all my lyrics over the years. So that was really good fun. And it was so popular, I might have to do another one because I didn't get through all the questions. I didn't, I didn't get close to getting through all the questions. So go and check that out. That's all I need to say for now, I think. Let's get on with a podcast day. This is the legend. Oh, hang on. Hold up. Let me let me double check exact exact details. Um, because Kay's book on connection is already out. 
but Kay's going on tour all through April and May. So check those tour dates out. And the new album, The Line Is A Curve, uh, came out on April 8th. Um, and it's amazing. So we talk a lot about that. We talk about the UK and Ireland tour. Kay's hitting up Manchester, Edinburgh, Glasgow, Cambridge, Bexhill, Brighton, Galway. Oh, the Russian Dub, one of my favourite venues. Cork, Cypress Avenue, another favourite venue. Belfast, Dublin, Vicar Street, classic. I only didn't mention the Belfast venue because I've not played the Cathedral Quarter Festival. There's no shade there. Belfast is dope. Bristol, Liverpool, Birmingham, Leeds, Hull, Cardiff, Sheffield, Leicester, the London O2 Academy on the 18th of May, and then Gateshead. So loads of good dates there. Go and check them all out. But for now, let's get into this episode. Uh, what number did I say it was? 447? Yeah. Of the Distraction Pieces podcast with K Tempest. This piece of fiction is the intro to Distraction This piece of fiction is the intro to Distraction This piece of fiction is the intro to Distraction This piece of fiction is the intro to Distraction Cool, we're in. Right, I'm joined today by Kay Tempest. How are you? I'm, I'm really good, mate. I'm very happy to see you. Thanks for having me on again. I've been in a, pro, a proper good mood t- uh, today, knowing we're having a chat this afternoon. Aww. So it's bloody, it's lovely to see you. But how are you? How's, how is everything? Obviously, I mean, it's been years now that that's a huge question, but it seems to be a continually huge question with everything that's going on in the world. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm good. We're like, like this album has been, I've been waiting for this moment for ages. You know, mm. for, it's coming now, it's coming out. And I don't want to even now believe that we're going to be touring, but we're going to be touring. Like, it's happening. It's yeah. starting, starting next week and with a trip to New York. So it's like um, all that stuff feels like it's happening, which is great. Yeah. And then other than that, yeah, I'm, I'm all right. The sun's out today. What can I say? It's the perfect day for it, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. What have you, before we get into all the album stuff, because that's mm. largely what we're going to end up talking about, because there's so much of it I'm excited about, you wouldn't believe. Um, okay. Before we get into that, what, what is, is there anything that you've been watching recently or listening to recently or yeah. anything else that you're buzzing about? Yeah, Let's definitely. Because these bits normally go at the end and then, you know how podcasts are, people will listen for a chunk and then get distracted or whatever else so let's get into these bits now yeah do you know about this tv show called the leftovers the leftovers no i don't i've heard of it i've not it's watched it it's so good it's so it's so so tell good me about to- it i'm sure a guy i used to chat to on twitter was a writer on it or something because it's instantly i was like yeah i remember i remember it coming out in america and then not yeah, yeah. I'd find it's it over like, here and um, now it's over, over here it's like an HBO thing. It's on yes. now, uh, now TV. That's where I saw it, and it's like, um, it's like based on this novel. Like my friend just was like, you, "Like you need to watch this. This is basically yeah. written for you. You need to see this." And I was like, "All oh, right, I'd never heard of it." And it's just the premise is like there's this event that happens where 1.4 million people all over the world, like four percent of the world's population, mm. just disappear. They just disappear. They're gone. They're yeah, just not yeah, here. Yeah. And then the world just has to go on, and it creates in people all this like. The response to it is that loads of cults start forming. People think it's the end of the world. People think it's like the rapture. All this 
stuff happens for people after having lost someone, but the person hasn't died, they're just gone. I think there's a lot of it about kind of psychosis or mental illness, you know, when someone's just yeah, gone. Yeah, yeah. And like how it affects families and all the different ways in which people would have just been there. Oh, thanks. My girlfriend's brought me a cup of tea. Thanks. For... <laughs> I was just so deep in my flow. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, it's just, it's just amazing. It's so, it's so clever. It's based on a novel by a novelist I'd never heard of, but he's written like 20 incredible books. And, um, oh, mate, it's, it's um, Justin Farouk, you know, Louis Farouk's yeah. cousin. Yeah, 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 he's playing yeah. like the lead role. It's, I'm going to have to get yeah. on it. It's wicked, to, you know. Get on it. It's, a, yeah. it's really interesting what you say there about the, the weirdness of people are gone but haven't died as such because I think it's something that a lot of people are having to face psychologically now, right? Yeah. Because yeah. of our society, mourning is so based around funerals and based around these things. And I think, like I had it, I had, I had a relative pass first half of the pandemic mm. and we couldn't go to the f- f- funeral. And it's been so weird because I was mourning but for a long time I was like, it doesn't feel as if they're actually... Gone because you've not gone there and been around people yeah. to confirm it. If you know what I mean, mourning is a weirdly public thing. I think in our society we have to be around other people who are also going through it to acknowledge it's happened. And I think yeah. there's going to be a lot of that in the next year or two as we start to come out of all of this, where people are going to have to start to work through some of the stuff that they've experienced that maybe hasn't felt r- real. It's felt like we're in a fucking crazy TV show for yeah. a lot of this past couple of years and. Yeah, I find that shit absolutely f- f- fascinating yeah. to try and get your head round. But all, like, it is really fascinating, and also because this TV show, I think it was made in like twenty fourteen or something, yeah. or, or like, it was definitely made pre-pandemic, and um, yeah. it it didn't do, I think, as well maybe as as they'd hoped it might do. Yeah. Or it didn't resonate yeah. in the same way. But like, you know, once you go through something, either personally or you know, socially, publicly, culturally, globally then everything that you watch suddenly takes on this resonance of whatever it is that we're going through. So yeah. suddenly all these novels, TV shows, albums, poems just seem like mad prescient, but they're just, yeah. it's it's so interesting to me how like that things just take on words or stories just take on the meaning of whatever you're going through in your, in your day or like globally what's going on in the world. I it's find like, stuff like that man. fascinating as well. There's a show I'm watching at the moment called Station Eleven that got mad hype in America and now it's on like an extra subscription thing on Prime or something. But it's another one that feels like it's written now, but it it was written and made just before the pandemic. And weirdly, it's about a global pandemic. And it kind of, you're jumping between the kind of the first year of it and 20 years on. When again, that sounds similar to, to what you were saying with Leftovers, the kind of people have, or society's changed massively. And there yeah. are kind of different religions and beliefs almost because it's not the world that we once knew. And yeah, you're completely right. I, I reckon, because that show got hyped in America and got loads of love and he's winning awards, but I reckon it's not going to be a big, as big a hit as it should be because people don't want to watch a show about mm. a pandemic when yeah. you've just lived through a pandemic. It's yeah. kind of like, no, nah, man, I'm good, thanks. That sounds... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That sounds a bit yeah. much, but yeah, it's amazing. But so, so uh, the pandemic has kind of put your album in kind of stasis as, as such as as well, because it does feel like this has been been coming a long time. So, but the the, the linings of curve is out on April eighth. Mm. Tell me about it. 
what, what, tell me about the title. Um, the, the 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 PR person who was uh, setting this up only sent me the album through about half an hour ago, and I said, "No, no, no, this is good. I want to hear about <laughs> it before I hear it. I want to talk right. to you about it, yeah, yeah, rather than give you a, a review of it. If you know what I mean? Yeah, deep. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That's nice because then you're in the same position as as everybody else. Yeah, it's like yeah, yeah. That's that's nice. Um, it's like. It's beautiful. That's what I can say about it. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's like maybe much more spacious or something than previous records. It's got very warm instrumentation in parts. It goes deep and it, it gets dark, but there's also a lot of upliftment at the core of it and a lot mm. of, um, yeah, I think that it's an uplifting prospect. Also, like the musicality of it is just, it's rich and warm and expansive. And um, I think I'm buzzing off it, like really. Yeah can't wait for it to be out but i feel like that always about records but i think it will connect with people because it's looking for people so i, th- I hope that people will connect with it i think they will it feels good to me yeah how how was it to to work on with with dan kerry again um because i always remember talking to you after the first time you yeah. two had started working together yeah. and seeing how buzzing you were to have kind of found your person yeah. as such because it's a weird thing particularly coming out of spoken word there's always that thing of you've got to a certain point and then now you need to add a band or now you need to do this <laughs> or now you need to do that. And you and your band, who, as you know, I was a huge Sound of Rum fan, had toured with me and Dan. And I remember you, me and Dan Lassac, and I remember you meeting Dan Kerry and being kind of like, I, fa- I found it, like, literally I found a Dan. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've, I found yeah. my Dan and it, yeah. and, and it works and there seemed to be yeah. such an excitement. But then... We're years and years on from that. So that relationship will have developed and changed Mm. and both of you will have changed as artists. So, yeah, how's all that been? How does this album compare to others as a process? It's it's amazing what we have have with Dan Carey because he... How can I put it? It's like you get used to creativity being something that happens individually. You know, if Mm. you're a writer, if you're writing poems or novels or you know playtext or anything it's like this it's this kind of it's not arduous but sometimes it can be hard work it's it's yeah. not as romantic and it's not always inspiration and electricity it's like it's kind of you with your like mad brain like going at it with a you know a thing to write but collaboration for me is just so refreshing and joyous and like even if what inspires a song is coming from a dark place just the act of being together making music is so like restorative and optimistic and like even if you're making something super dark it's still like fun you know it's like it's a beautiful thing to do and that's how I started out I started out rhyming like with people it was like it was the way that I socialized as well well that's what I was gonna say you you always used to come to life the most when there was a few of us about yeah when it was me you Polar, Musa whoever else it was more it was more of a thing and it kind of it didn't feel as if you're just having to get up to do your job as such. Oh, do you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm there. I've been booked as a poet. I've got to go and do my stuff. Whereas when it was all us lot. Yeah. And again, we talked about it a load the last time you were on, so we won't go into it again. But when you, me and Polar toured, the three of us just doing what we wanted to do, it wasn't work at all. It's still it's still like one of my favourite tours ever because yeah. it wasn't work. Everyone in that van was just, well, what should we do tonight? Let's go up and do this and, and, <laughs> yeah. and enjoy yeah. it, you know? But, so that's good but, yeah. to hear that collaboration is, yeah, 
if that's, coming into this now. The, like, it's not to say that I don't enjoy like the intensity of like the the focus or the it's. But my brain is intense. Like my brain is a hardcore environment, and I've had mm. to like like navigate this mad terrain my whole life. So having somebody else's brain like in the mix. It just changes the scene a little bit, changes the tempo, and it allows me to enjoy some of the elements of my creativity that can feel sometimes just totally overwhelming. Yeah. So the thing with Dan is that we we enjoy each other, and the way his listening, like his ear, his attention, gives me the space to work in ways that I don't really work when I'm not in a room with him. Like mm. I I love I love to be in a room with him, and he loves to be in a room with me because we get things out of each other that don't happen alone or with other people and it's just this mad chemistry I'm I feel like I found a true partner in in Dan like our communication is like sometimes it's not even verbal like like I I watch his movement and I know that he's feeling something or he he knows that I'm feeling a beat because I start going mm, yeah <laughs> like whatever and he just he doesn't even like he's he just knows that I'm into that and then that'll push yeah. him a bit further or like I could listen to him looking for a chord for like four hours and like he'll be getting frustrated, and I'm like, no, like you're, we're getting there. Just it's perfect. It's actually the one that we found two hours ago. Maybe let's go back to that. It's like I don't know. It's like I can nurture his creativity in a way that I can't even nurture my own, and he kind of yeah. does. The, he does the same to me. It's it's mad powerful, man. I'm so, I feel very blessed to have him. I love it. No, no email can convey a reaction to a beat this in the same way that your body language <laughs> yeah. can convey it here in it in that moment. The, yeah the involuntary things that your face will do or that your shoulder will do yeah. and stuff like that that is like that tells you everything and that's yeah i love to hear that how how have you kind of found cuz we've known each other a while and i think both of us have changed and grown and there's been loads of variations in what we're doing artistically personally how have you developed to to have a hold on your on your kind of mental health and i'll, I'll kind of explain there cuz you mentioned there that you think quite intensely and intently. And I think as a writer, you're taking on the world massively. So if the world's yeah. a bit fucked up, it's not going to be an easy time to be K-Tempest, you know, because yeah. there's so yeah. much taking. But it feels like talking to you now and when we've chatted recently and on, on WhatsApp or whatever, it feels like you've got a good balance of that, of being able to go right. Do you know what I mean? Being able to know how to let the world in and how to let it impact you influence you artistically and and personally have you got kind of do you feel you've got a handle on that kind of thing yeah that's a real interesting question because what is part of our job is that we've got to pay attention to our emotional state it's like yeah. you know you're you're mining your experiences and your thoughts to like create characters or poetry or whatever but if you if you're suffering from either like mental ill health like or you know if you're in a bad way mm. you've you've trained yourself to be really aware of all of the things that happen in your mind and to pay attention to this stuff that you probably really would benefit from just being able to ignore or put yeah. down or not focus yeah, yeah, on yeah. Or, but you've been I've been training myself all my life for like um noticing that, like what's happening in my head and like making my bread and butter out of it so when my head turns like you know I've got all kinds of things Whatever I'm tapped, you know. After my brain's my brain's hardcore, so like when when it turns, like it can be it can be devastating. And I'm I'm learning how to. I'm I'm hopefully I've done some stuff over the last couple of years, having this like forced time off tour 
and this mm. forced time of like actually trying to take stock of certain things and make some changes. I'm, I'm hoping that I'm in a better place than I was, but I think it's a journey, isn't it? It's like, that's what the whole album's about. It's like, no matter how often you get to the epiphany, but, you know, I've got it, I've solved it, it's going to be all right. You wake up in the morning, you've got to start all over again. Like, the line is a curve. You, you don't just, like, sort your mental health out once. Like, yeah. it's, you've got to do it every day. Like, yeah, I mean? and there's no better person to realise that than artists because you do have that. We've all had that moment where we've written that one line or that one piece and you're like, mm. man, this is amazing. And then at <laughs> some point, at some point, you have a realisation, it's like, oh, I've got to write another one. Like, like it's not over now it wasn't this quest to write this one perfect yeah. piece it's like and that can be an album or a single track or whatever else it's like oh we need to go again like this yeah. isn't and that yeah. can be a scary thing but but realizing that you're not chasing that one peak realizing yeah. that it is a continued thing and everything is adding to what was before and nothing is subtracting that's not oh, how mate. it works yeah it's i think it's about taking the pressure off i think we put a lot of pressure on ourselves Yes, as artists, but also just like in life, there's mm. so much pressure. This album actually is, it's trying to reframe those pressures as rather being these oppressive like down forces. Actually, maybe pressure can present us like with more opportunity to release, to let go, like to surrender, to like to spot these cycles and accept that, okay, some sometimes we're going to be smashing it and sometimes we're going to be letting it smash us. Do you know what I mean? And it's, yeah. I suppose it's just about having some having greater resilience that's what i can say i'm trying to improve my resilience it's not like i'm trying to stop the i can't stop the downs i can't yeah, but if yeah. i can just like believe in my resilience a bit more then you know there's a song on that album that says i'll fight you till i win i'll fight you till i win i'll fight you till i win i'll fight you so it's like it's like okay i know i'm not winning up you know if i'm down maybe i can't get up maybe i'm not going to get up for ages but I, as long as I know that I'm going to keep trying to get up, then at some point, surely, I'm going to get back on my feet. No? I love it. I love it. So, again, I'm already getting the vibe of the excitement to get to get this this, this stuff in front of an audience, to get to play live and to yeah. get to tour. And it's weird having mates on the podcast, you know, because I feel like I'm now going to give you, like, all this analysis of, 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 of what I've observed <laughs> over the years. But from day dot, you built a fucking audience because of, the passion of your performances, like you'd go all in on everything. And it really felt that in recent years, or again, over the curve, I guess, there's been kind of a realisation that putting your all in, that, that doesn't necessarily just mean going hard as fuck. It means being comfortable, being soft on stage and being vulnerable on stage and being exposed rather than simply being, I'm going to smash this harder than anyone else. So, mm. How is that as a, a kind of a nightly process, I guess, when you are touring, to, to, to go through that range of emotions? I think early days, it's far easier to go out there and just be like, I'm going to spit, fuck it, I'm going to be tight <laughs> on point, I'm going to melt everyone. And then when you do get that more nuanced in there, you're going out mm. there and you're sharing an evening mm. with people, you're sharing a lot of emotions and experiences. Yeah, it's so funny. Like, I feel like that person... That used to go out there like that. I, I, like it was a long time ago that that was my energy. I feel like yeah. I think like I got yeah. you know, I've been humbled thankfully by life. Like beautiful, yeah. I grew up. What a blessing! And when I go out on stage now, it's it's a different thing. Like I've been honing my stagecraft. I hope I've been paying very particular attention to certain elements of it. I think about it. I study it. I practice. 
my craft, and I think of it as a craft, it's like no less important to me than the writing. It's, it's a different kind of craft and you've got to have respect for it as its own thing. It's crazy mm. what we do to go out there, stand there in front of a thousand people and communicate, embody, like feel, be with like a room, like this big monster, you know, that could turn on you, all of these shadows and spirits or like something incredibly profound and beautiful that can happen to us all. Like if everything mysterious goes in the right direction and you've got no idea why or how it happens one night and doesn't another but if it all works out you know I talk about it in my book on connection that I wrote it's suddenly the whole room is like joined in this unified present but everybody everybody is in the same moment and that's so rare like to have that access to that feeling of like we're all here not because of me or because of you but because of what we're doing together yeah. All of us, us on stage and you in the audience and your day and my day and the night that's come in and suddenly these words become these bridges to an experience. So it's it's very deep. It's, it's very one of the deep. most unexplainable like human experiences, I think. Like I've mm. people coming together and communally like singing along to stuff. I've heard songs that I don't rate and it's brought me to tears because yeah. I've heard yeah. a crowd of people all, all, all singing wow. along to it because it's that shared yeah. experience. It's not even that it's this thing. It's, it's as you say, it's it's everyone. Everyone's involved in this. And yeah, it, yeah they're all responsible. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. So I like, I've never had that experience. I never had like, heard them singing it back. Like, yeah. I, it's, ne- it's not like that kind of thing. I'd love to know what that feels like. That must yeah. be mental. But the, it's more just that I can feel them. And like, it, I kind of have to shut my mind off and let the words come out because if I if my mind gets involved then it will trip me up or mm. takes me out of the moment. So sometimes you know you you kind of get out of the way of it and this thing happens and like an hour later like you come off stage like you don't even know where you've been like you don't even like you don't even know where it came from or where it's gone or anything. Yeah. So it's it can be kind of disorientating and touring as you know like you know it can be a draining like emotionally physically you know it can be hard but um. I feel like that when we go out with this album, I think after having this enforced time away from it, I have new respect for certain elements of of it, of like coming together to like do this thing that we do. I don't know, man. I'm like, there's part of me that's a bit afraid of touring because I, yeah. I, know, I know what it does. I know what it puts me through, but there's another part of me that lives for it. I live for that moment when... Um, it's, really, it's interesting because I know touring and that got has broken you down at certain points in life yeah. it's, it's it's been Shabby. fucking hard work but i also feel as said this period of reflection that we all keep talking about yeah. that can change things that can change how things are it's not again it all it, it was annoying the hell out of me when people kept saying about how we need to get back to we need to get back to normal or whatever it's like no we need to change it all we need to yeah. we need to we don't need to get back to anything we need to reevaluate and go all oh, right well that wasn't actually working for me that was doing me me damage whether mm. it be that approach to touring or that thought or that process that's so yeah i agree with you you know it gives us the time to go no let's do it let's do it how it should have been all along do you think you've done, do you think you've managed to do that like as we start moving you know back into the familiar routine do you think they've managed to keep things from that time that you've learned that you can like bring into your life and you know make changes and mate i think i've done too good at it it's a problem it's a negative <laughs> i've um i got proper in the pandemic i got really comfortable with working on scripts without any real thought or expectation of producers or anyone else or pushing them onto the next level of making them and now we're a few months in and i'm like man 
I've got scripts I should be really knocking at people's doors with, but I'm just oh. working on the next one. I'm like, oh. I've got these scripts that I've bled over and I adore that at the moment aren't doing anything. And it's like, oh shit, I've got too comfortable with the just art for art's sake. Wow. You know, the, the, the enjoyment comes from the process of writing it and finally finish a, a draft and going, that's fucking good. Because oh, like, so many points on the draft, I'm thinking that's fucking shit. So to yeah. get to that, that's fucking good yeah. point. Yeah. But but yeah, I genuinely think one of the things I have to readjust is go no, get back to a bit of the hustle, a bit yeah. of the there's a business side of this. You got to mm. chase all that. But but I mean, just speaking on live again, I want to ask you if there's anyone that comes to mind that you've studied and influences you. But I want to preface that with the. Because I, I hear that question asked a lot, and I think people don't understand that that can be part of your stagecraft. But I think a big start of your stagecraft is studying y- y- yourself and your own performance, and seeing what's wrong and what doesn't work, and what you need to adjust, and what and what does work. So, again, I know you will have analysed yourself plenty over the years as you're performing, as you're going, and all that, known what feels right. But is there anyone that jumps out that you're like you've seen and thought I want to bring an element of what they do? into how I do things it's so interesting it's like for me it's much less like knowing than that it's like for one I can't really bear to watch videos of myself I just can't bear it maybe that will change as I move forward I'm the same I'm the same I can't hear myself watch myself any of that so it's not like when an athlete... More in the moment, I feel, is yeah. what I more meant. In the moment, over a tour, I'll know that at the end of the tour, I'll be a better performer than I was at the beginning of the tour, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, 100, yeah. Yeah. But you know, like an athlete will like watch videos of, say someone's a high jumper and they'll go and do the high jump and they'll, they'll like analyse the footage yeah. and be like, oh, my left leg was too low there or whatever. Like, and yeah, they, yeah, they, yeah. Like, they, they make the adjustments and like, <laughs> yeah, we have like none of that. For us, it's I suppose it's more... It, yeah, it's, it's you have to think about the demands of a particular moment, but it's all so much more abstract. But then, in terms of like other performers, it's the same. It's the same kind of thing. It's like I respond to the, what I feel to be the truth from someone. So I could watch any kind of uh, art form happening on stage, and if it speaks to me, it's because I feel that it's true, not necessarily like facts you know these are facts but more like wow this is that person's truth like this there is something real coming from your soul and it reaches something real in mine and I had that experience I saw J Electronica recently at Jazz Cafe and I I I was like oh this is because for me this is like a kind of mythical figure almost I've been waiting to see him like nearly 10 years and suddenly I see him and it's like oh this is a human human being like and I just saw all the life in him and I heard him tell his stories and I I knew it was real and that just and same with like Grian Chatton who's on the album the Fontaine's DC singer when I see him when I see Grian sing when I hear him doing his lyrics it just resonates with me it's like the poet soul thing you know and um I had it I watched Celeste sing at this event and she just sang one song and all everything in me just started to like vibrate like all of my cells started to vibrate or something it's like it's like th- this recognition of real sentiment is what creates, for me, like deep connection. That's that's it. I love it. And I love the idea of Jay Electronica being almost a mythical gig and the fact it's at the, the at the Jazz Cafe. Me and Ed Scrine were talking recently that we might do a podcast just about the gigs we had tickets for at the Jazz Cafe <laughs> that never happened. Because <laughs> that's just been a constant thing, particularly with yeah. the US rap acts. There was years and years of... 
I've got tickets for Slick Rick. It's like that gig ain't going to happen. All right, all right. Cool. But you know what? Like, I, it was just, it was just amazing to like just have the the. It's a small venue, like in yeah. some ways, you know, it's so intimate, yeah. and I just. I absolutely loved seeing an artist that I like, I cherish and admire, like at such close quarters. It was, yeah. it was just amazing. I remember seeing Ferro Munch there, and it was that oh, exact wow. dream type thing, as you were yeah. saying. It was like you're there waiting, like hip hop gig, and the second he came down, he came down the kind of spiral stairs. Yeah. That <laughs> the second he came down, it was like I was transfixed from then until yeah. the end. I've got no yeah. real memory of it. I remember him arriving and then being at the train station on the way home and being like, wow. oh, my God, that was that Yeah, because was a thing. you're like, that's a person. That's a person yeah. of a life who, who put pen to paper and wrote those lyrics. Like, yeah. Yeah. you know, you get used to hearing things on, on wax or on record, then you're just like, it, it, you forget that it came from a person. Like, that, that's, that's what absolutely blows my head up when I'm just like, you, you think of these people as like infallible heroes, like so, so what I do anyway. Because yeah. I'm like, how did they do that? How did they do that? And then you see them and you're like, it's like my heart just breaks open because it's like I just, I get a sense of how much they've had to give to yeah. make this record that they didn't know was going to find some kid, some person, and, and it has. You know, it's so mad. How do you feel about being on the other end of that? Because that's how people feel about you. That's, that's, that's the, again, you're, you're one of my favourite people that I have brought up to me. In, in tweets or in, in whatever wow. people going, have you, have you, have you heard Kay? Have you, you checked out Kay? It's like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I have. And the, there's always such a genuine, like your fan base are so on board and are so passionate about what you do and kind of, it feels like so aware of what it takes. Do you know what I mean? What Dude. it takes for you to, to put all this out there and to, to, as we were saying earlier, to, yeah. to mine the misery as such. Um, so, so yeah, how does that that feel being on the other side like do you ever contemplate that or do you kind of pretend that isn't a thing because it's too much mm. to take <laughs> yeah i don't like i have had moments of meeting people like you know you do like record store signings or things like that and you and you meet people and people often tell me these like very intense stories of how they have made these connections to my work at these points in their life and i just feel like i just I don't know. It's it's an overwhelming thing, but at the same time, it's it makes sense to me because I know where these lyrics begin. I know the I know where they come from, and I, I know what they're looking for, and I know how much it takes. I don't know, like to to create this stuff, and and I also understand what it means to receive from creativity, mm. and so it kind of makes a really beautiful kind of sense that because I have received so much, now I can offer something, yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah. it just makes me feel like um like I'm standing on this line that goes all the way back and continues all the way forwards and at some point curves and then rejoins itself. And that line is like every single poet, maker, artist, speaker of any kind of truth, their own power like comes out in what they make. And because I, if I plug myself into that line and charge myself up from everything that I've received, then it kind of makes a really beautiful kind of sense that I could also push forwards on that line or, or give other people an opportunity to feel some of that power and then make their own contribution. I love yeah. that. And I love the idea of that receiving and, and, and passing on. I'd, I'd always get loads of love from people at shows f- for doing my own merch booth after the show. Yeah. But that was because of going to see Sage Francis yeah. and being like, oh shit, that's him on the merch. And knowing how much it meant to me yeah. to queue up and go and buy a CD and say hello and it's like that was a given. There was there was numerous things like that that 
as soon as I was doing this kind of thing in my career, I was like, right, I've got to do that because that's how Sage did it. And I knew, I know being on the other other end of that, how much yeah. it meant. And numerous other things al- along the way of going, right, this is is how it's got to be. And you're completely right. It's that receiving and passing on. It's, yeah, yeah. it's a great and channel. If you, th- if you think of it that way, then it's not so scary because you know it's not anything to do with you. Yeah. It's not me. It's not me. I don't know where this stuff, like, I don't know why. Like, yeah. just, it is. Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. So if you think of it like that, then you can take yourself out of it and then it just feels like, oh, just incredible because you're, it feels like you're in the right place, doing the right thing. And like, when I think about how differently my life could have turned out, like the fact that I'm, in this place right now is and able to create something that might resonate with someone who's in a tricky situation or looking for something some kind of beauty in their life it just like it's staggering it's absolutely staggering feeling because you yeah. it, it's got nothing to do with, with you you know it's like i didn't do it like if you listen to my record and you got something out of it you did that you the quality yeah. of your listening made that happen like so yeah if i if i have that perspective then it doesn't freak me out I love that. I love that. Well, I mean, something that consistently freaks me out, and I think I mention it every time we catch up now, is that Rick Rubin exec produces your records. That's. Just, I mean, we don't have to go into that in any greater detail, crazy. but how mad is that? It's how mad. crazy is that? It gets yeah. me every time. It's like, this is... It's mad, yeah. It's bonkers, right? <laughs> yeah, it's absolutely bonkers. Yeah, it's mad. When I think of, like, it's absolutely mad. I think that's another thing that about with me and Dan Carey, like, what bonds us is that whole mad experience of going out there and like yeah. seeing what we saw and feeling so much like fish out of water but at the same time being like well we're allowed to be here yeah, so. we're here for a reason they've invited <laughs> us so like, just so many mad things happened and yeah he's just some of the things that he said to me when we were making the last album chaps and lessons like those things are still working their way f- yeah. through my head like for example like this whole thing when we were making the last album i, I decided i wanted to do the the vocals as like as a live take, the whole album mm. as one take. And so Rick would come at like 11 o'clock and 3 o'clock and 5 o'clock and I would do the take and he would sit and listen. And something about him arriving, putting the cans on, gave it all the sense of occasion that made me kind of rise to that occasion. And mm. it, it gave the lyrics this uh, power that they didn't have when it was just like, okay, you could do this a hundred times, whatever, yeah. like take, go. When it's just you got one chance and Rick's there. Anyway, like that made me think when I was recording this album about the process of wanting to get the most truthful take. So I decided again, like, okay, I want to do the whole album as one take, but I want to be, I want to be talking to someone. I want to be, I want an audience of one. I wanted someone the other side of the mic in the booth with me. That's how I visualised it. But then COVID, so we couldn't. But then I, I took it further. I was like, well, actually, wouldn't it be amazing to do the album three times in a day and to have three different generations of people? So to have generation above me, my generation, generation below, and just see what happens to the take, to my voice, to the to the lyrics. So we were like, all right, let's let's do it. So, you know, we, we had made the whole album. Everything was written. The music was all recorded. Everything was done. I memorised the, the lyrics, the text. Then we got this um this like black box stu- studio theatre in Streatham near Dan's studio, so it's big enough to have somebody two meters away, and um we did it like we had a seventy eight year old man came in and I did the whole album to him, and then Bridget Minamore, the poet, my friend, yeah. she came in and was the person of my generation, bless her, but she didn't <laughs> she didn't know what she was letting herself in for, but bless her, she came through and I did the album, and then we had three kids or young people twelve, fifteen, and seventeen who we'd got from a kind of social media post. 
and they'd responded and we'd chosen them. So then we had the take. Like, but the, what I'm saying is that whole process of thinking about how to get the best take, da, 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 all that came, I think, because of the confidence I got from having just listened to Rick talk to me about how to get the best performance and why it's important to have certain qualities in the vocal recording and all this kind of stuff. You know, it's, it's still going through my head, some of the things he said to me. I love that. It blows my, my mind that you've found that thing that you need as, as 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 the artist to, as you say, to find to find the truth. Yeah, it's so mad yeah. that that's been the key along every variation of your career, every variation of my career. That we're trying yeah. to find that truth in that yeah. in that delivery and that performance. I keep talking about it recently because I've become obsessed with getting an acting role where the character has got a stammer. Because again, I just think because as someone who stammers. I can control it in that I can like hold it down for a take or get it right, but I can't control how it comes out if I'm actually stammering. And that's there's no truer than that. Do you know mm. what I mean? And I've mm. just obsessed with the idea of getting to perform with that 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 lack of control. I can learn my lines, find my character wow. inside and out, but I've not actually got control over how how this flows because that's how I live. I live my day to day life. You know, I've wow. got used to it, but it's. Only in recent years it's occurred to me that most people aren't used to, uh, to that. And, yeah, I love the idea of that, of finding that truth in a performance of, like, right, this isn't, you know. Yeah. Do you think that the character would have to have been written with a, to have a stammer? Or do you think that you could take that process to a character and yeah. and um, I think, and just now it's a character who has a stammer? Though? I think it probably works better that way round. Because, again, you- generally... If, I, I had a thing recently, and it's, I said it's kind of happened, I guess. I did a thing a little... I was in one episode of a comedy show called Out of Her Mind, and when I watched it back, or I saw the episode while I was in Canada, because they, they sent it through and that, and it got me emotional because they used a take where I stammered. And mm. speaking to the, the, the charity I work with a lot, Stammer, we're all pretty sure that's the only time a character has had a stammer on TV and it hasn't being addressed do you know mm. what i mean it hasn't been like his it's part of their story arc or whatever mm. else i stammered at one point and we move on mm. and again it's a weird one because it was a small that stammer so a lot of people probably won't notice but people who've got a stammer will notice because mm. of the style of it the the, the glottal stop kind of the getting stuck and that meant the world and that was exciting mm. and so again yeah i think it would work better the other way around because Generally, yeah. if people write someone with a stammer, it's a big yeah, yeah. part of their life and it's a yeah. character art. And how often have we spoken about me having a stammer? Like, we yeah. never have. We've known yeah. each other years because it's just a thing. But, yeah, yeah it's a truth yeah, there. Yeah, that's what, that's what I was thinking. I was thinking, like, you know, perhaps you could just take it to the director and just yeah. be like, I think, yeah. you know, I think, I think my, my character yeah. has a stammer. Like, yeah, it's interesting. I'll do it wow. at some point. I, f- I find the right character. I had one audition that I'd said to him before we started taking, I, I went, look, I think this this character, b- b- because again, equally, I don't want to f- force it upon everything. I no. don't want it to just be, oh, because I've got a start. It's mm. acting. I'm meant to be playing other people. But I had one audition and it was the audition that made me f- accept I'm an actor now. It made me feel like I'm actually, I'm actually an actor because I said before and I was like, look, I think this character uh, uh, w- would work well with a stammer. So if it's okay with you, I'm going to kind of take the brakes off and stop controlling it and just wow. let it land where it lands 
and the dude who did the self tape as soon as we finished he was like man like we had a moment because i'd wow. never done that at an audition he was like that was yeah again it's the truth isn't it it's what yeah. we're all seeking is truth and and that's yeah, it's so interesting. Take the brakes off, yeah. Yeah. Oh man, it it must be crazy doing that on a self tape as well. Like yeah. this, the acting, this, the actors, like you lot. This, my mind boggles at how, oh, how you can turn it on without being there in the room with the people, just like to yeah. the yeah, and like the amount of rejection that. My girlfriend's an actor, so I'm like, I'm like deep in it at the minute. I'm like, yeah. I'm, I see it, I see what it's like, and it just, it's the most hardcore. I think it's the most hardcore occupation in all of the creative industries. Like, I think the key is early on accepting that it's it's not rejection. It's it's acceptance of someone else. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, deep. It's deep, not rejection of you. It's acceptance deep. of someone else. Because again, I I luck out a little bit in that I'm six foot four with a big beard. I can understand mm. that I'm not going to fit every role. So I kind of tell myself before I was like, let's show them, yeah. let's show them who I am and what I do, and then you know, on to the next one. But yeah, it's a weird one. Yeah, because they could be looking for something that's got absolutely nothing to do with your performance or anything like that. Exactly as yeah. you say, they just they want somebody like in their head. This person has got blue eyes or whatever, yeah. or this yeah. person has got like yeah, it's so crazy. Small, anyway, yeah. it's small things and small bits. But there was something a minute ago I wanted to jump to jump to. Well, I'll come back to it. It'll come to me. Can we talk a little bit about? Some of the other collaborations, because yeah. the first single, I was excited to see Kevin Abstract from Brockhampton. I wasn't expecting that. Yeah. And, and Leanne Le Havis, I've had on the podcast, I just think yeah. is absolutely amazing. So, yeah, how did the collaborations come about and, yeah. and how did they fit? Well, like, all the past three albums, the, the focus has been so tight, like, because I've had this idea that I wanted to tell a story and they were like so intricately constructed like yeah. Traps and Lessons was like a dramatic monologue even if it didn't have the, the like characters and the kind of same kind of plot structure as the last two but there there wasn't really space for other voices on those projects they were like it was like me Dan going at it this idea that I had and then on this record I just knew I just knew it was more open I, I knew there was space for other voices other feelings and I and I and more to the point I desired that I wanted it you know yeah and like so this crazy collaboration on this record like um Quake Bass like who you know like my, yeah, my brother yeah, basically yeah, yeah. who I started like playing music with Quake at like I don't know 14 years old or something but I knew that I wanted his drumming uh there's I knew that I wanted the, this guitar part this song that I used to play in this band that I was in when I was 19 um, this guy called Luke Stop wrote this guitar part. Daisy Bow, she sings on two of the songs on Don't You Ever and on Salt Coast. She, we were in bands together at 19 years old, playing in like the Squats in Peckham and New Cross. And I just, I, Confucius MC, who I started rapping with at 16, I, I just, I wanted them with me because if that's where I'm from and this that's also where I'm at. And I wanted, you know, the line is a curve. That's what it means. I wanted yeah. to bring the past into the present and and like acknowledge the future like so all that to say that leanne green kevin like it's all kind of part of the same thing these are people leanne is someone that i've known for years and have sang with and at parties or things but and we've talked about working together but the time has just never been right and the, just the time was right to have her contribution and i just you know i think she's an incredible musician i love her playing i love her singing and she's my friend so she just came through and we just made this song and the same with Green, he just came through and he 
he just wrote this like beautiful poem and he just delivered it on this song. It's this really stripped back minimal song and Grian's, um, I suppose, like famous as this like kind of post-punk big star kind of like rocky singer. But then there's this really intimate, gentle performance of a very beautiful poem that he does. I think people are going to enjoy the freedom that there is between us all on this record. It's like, it's. I think it's a surprising... It's a surprising thing that happens when you have a lyricist and a singer and, like, the presence of melody just changes the, changes the words. You yeah. start to think in pictures because of what the melody does. It's like I'm, I'm buzzing off all that kind of stuff at the minute. So, yeah. yeah. I can't wait. Um, when you were talking about the recording process, I've remembered the tangent I was going to Wicked. go off on. Yeah. You, you mentioned recording it in Streatham. When you were talking there, you mentioned Peckham, you mentioned New Cross... How important is South London to you? Lewisham borough of culture. Yeah. <laughs> how important is all that to you? And how's it changed? Because one of the things I'm I'm spending a fair bit of time in Margate lately, and one of the things I like about Margate is it is changing, but it's changing in good ways, and it's still it's not losing its like edge. Sounds horrible, but that's what I associate with South London. I've said to you numerous times. All my family are South London, and in South London, yeah, sometimes I feel like I might get into some into some trouble. But in North London, I feel like someone's <laughs> going to kick me out. Or West London, I feel like I'm going to be moved on. <laughs> Whereas in South London, I'd rather have that feeling of, all right, let's just be aware of ourselves. So, yeah, how is your relationship with London at the moment? How's it changed over the years? How are you feeling? Well, I, yeah, I love I love South London. I it's obviously London is a changing city and it always has been like mm. and and the London that that made me that grew me up like yeah it's it's not that anymore around here but it kind of still is like it still is that but also I'm not that you know I'm I'm now older and have a different life and I think this this is a place of change like this city is built on a million other cities that were here before it like that mm. is like if you I'm kind of interested in the history of London and like I've been, I've been reading this autobiography of London or biography of London. Wow. It's actually amazing. Ackroyd. It's, it's it's just called like London a biography and it's amazing. It just talks about like the the layers and how many civilizations and like why this place, why London. Mm. Anyway, but what I'm trying to say is that like I I love it. I live it, I live in Catford now and I left for like a year and a half. I think you know this, but mm. Obviously, I'm born and raised around here and lived here all my life in different parts of South London. And then after a particularly gruelling 10 years of work, like I was, at, I was at the end of my tether and my girlfriend at the time was like, she kept hearing me talking about this dream I had of just getting out. I just wanted to be in the nature. And she was like, fuck it, let's go. So we just got in a car and we rented a house in the Pyrenees, in the foothills of the Pyrenees the mountains yeah. between France and Spain. And we, like for a third of the rent, we were paying for a one-bed flat in Lewisham. We got this like farmhouse kind of barn place in, in the fucking middle of nowhere. Like I wasn't even in a village. I was like out in the sticks. Yeah. And um, we were like, you had to go down into this valley, like through this like woodland bit. And I lived there for like a year and a half, like coming back to do shit that I had to do, but pretty much just like experiencing a very different way of life like if you live in the city or from the city everything here is trying to keep you alive 
Like it might feel like it's trying to kill you, but it's actually mm. trying to keep you alive. Like yeah, yeah. there's all this stuff, there's rules, there's traffic lights and ambulances and whatever, shelter. But in the mountain, the mountain doesn't care if you live or die. Like that's on you. That's that self-reliance shit, right? Mm. So it's like I never knew that in my life. Yeah. So I was I was scared. I was scared of the forest. I was scared of the silence. I was scared of the mountain. I had all this fear. And it, it took like a it took the a full cycle of the seasons for me to to actually learn how to be in nature, how to be with the silence and how yeah. to be in, in the woods and how to collect enough firewood so that I wasn't going to freeze and all this stuff. Like, But then it, I missed London so, so, so deeply, so intrinsically. I missed it. Every, every cell of my body missed London. And I came back and it's like... I'm not going anywhere. I'm not. I'm never leaving. Again. I'm like. I'm never leave you again. It's got to be different, <laughs> right? That's what I was going to say. The whole you don't know what you got to. It's gone. But the the removal of a dream sounds like a negative thing, but it's a powerful thing, man. If you if, if you if you're living in London and you've always had this dream of living in the in the woods somewhere, to go and do that and go, oh, it's not what I thought it was. I don't have to have that resentment anymore of being yeah. stuck in the city and not being able to go. I don't have to have that anymore. I can now just enjoy where I am and not yeah. be thinking of that, the kind of, the, the grass is greener or whatever. That must it, be It was amazing to experience, freeing. like, a different culture, you know, because I, I live where I'm from, so the the culture of London is my own culture. I've never had to, like, question the ways of this city because I've learnt them. Yeah. And, like, and obviously a lot of my friends, a lot of people I knew were from other places, and I just, I'd never had the experience that they'd had of, like, coming from different countries, different places, different cities, and coming to London. Yeah. I'd never, I'd never been that. So actually being that in this tiny little French village at the market, like with everyone playing medieval instruments and me just stood there like, this is some interesting, like, this is interesting. Like how, do, how to function in a culture that you're unfamiliar with um, was like incredible for me. But I, I had like a total psychological collapse, to be honest. Like there was like, there was nothing to hold me. Yeah. There was, there was nothing, there was nothing to hold, hold me. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's yeah. That's intense. That must have been a hell of an ex- experience. But again, it seems like it's enriched everything now. Do, do you know what I mean? Again, as we keep saying about when going through, you know, the role of a writer or whatever is to kind of absorb and analyze all the darkness and mm. and turn it into something p- positive. But just on a human level, it feels like again you're you're gonna be walking around London differently. Yeah, you're gonna yeah, have a different yeah. outlook and a different appreciation. Yeah. Although I'm, I'm saying really, that yeah. you've always f- fucking loved South yeah. London. I, I, yeah. I certainly never spoke to you at, at a point where you were sick of it or not a fan. So yeah. I, I might was be never, talking I bullshit was like, there because I was never <laughs> sick of the city. I was just I, I had to get out because yeah. I was I wasn't well, man. Yeah. I had to get out, but I never been. I don't think I'd ever get sick of it. I obviously yeah, it's a changing place, but you know I like a posh coffee now and again. You know, so. Yeah. Damn right. So, one of the of the kind of key points of you of I've known over the years is you're you're never kind of just happy doing just one thing. There's always on to the next project, on to the other thing. There was a point where it annoyed the hell out of me because it felt like <laughs> as soon as you're finishing this dope project, you're like, "No, I'm over here now." You, yeah. you know, it's like, "Come on, what's going on?" But I I quickly came to realise that that's what's that's what makes your art so vital and immediate and 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 exciting so one of the things that kind of got put on hold was was paradise and that finally got to 
to have a crowd, right? So yeah. how was that? How's that been to kind of to have that get out there and to watch it brought to life? It was amazing. It was absolutely incredible experience. I should explain. It's it's a play. It's 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 your latest or your most recent play, and yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a play, and um, I've been working on it for like years, and it was meant to go on. It didn't go on, and uh, because of the pandemic, etc. And then it eventually did go on, and it went on at the National Theatre, which is the biggest um, theatre really in in England, I suppose. And um, yeah. it went on in the Olivier. It's called the Olivier Stage which is like the big room there at the National. It's like it's like Glastonbury Festival for a playwright or something. It's yeah. like, it's a big thing. And that theatre is built on Epidavros, which is um, a Greek amphitheatre, like the original kind of setting for these old Greek plays. And wow. Paradise is a version of an old Greek play. It's a version of Sophocles, Philoctetes, that I've like kind of filtered through my sensitivities and and rewritten or reclaimed or just redone somehow. So like, and it's like a huge, it's a huge play. It's huge. It's massive. It's full of, it's full, full of blood and love and dirt and, you know, all the stuff. And it had a cast of 13 and it was like, mate, one of the most amazing things is like on the first day you go in, go into the National Theatre and you have this for like a production rehearsal kind of, no, it was a a meeting. Mm. And you go in, it's me and the director, director of the theatre and everyone. And then there's all these amazing people sitting in a circle and they're like, Hello, I'm the head of blood at the National Theatre. And she, she was like this absolute, like, total G of a woman, like, super elegant, well presented. And she was just like, she's the head of blood at the National Theatre. Because someone gets cool shot, there's is. like a, there's a wounding. This, guy, this character's got a wound. So she's like, so would you like the wound to separate or would you like it to... And you're just sitting there like, oh, my gosh. Like, Then there's, like, the head of archery. Show me the options. <laughs> Let's get everyone out of here. Let's just spend a day looking at what the options are. It was so cool. And, like, you've got the, you've got the designers, the costume, and it's, like, in music, wow. you're used to... Even if you're playing, like, Brixton Academy kind of venues, you're still, in my experience anyway you've still got one person doing four jobs. Like you're not, yeah, 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 there's yeah, never, yeah, yeah. you're yeah. never in a situation where you, you can, you've got like, there's like four people putting the microphones on the actors. It's like, there's expertise everywhere. Yeah. At a push, you've got front of house and a monitors guy and they're but separate. I mean... It's not the same person. <laughs> At a push, that's living it. It's like, what, you know, it's just, it's not just the guy at the front doing all of it. Fucking hell. Yeah, so that that was like, for me, it was just, it was exciting on so many levels. But for me, that on that level, I was totally buzzing. I was just like, don't miss wow. a minute of this. This is huge. Yeah, just being around all the expertise, the collaboration of it was, yeah, like you must have the same experience on film sets. Like, Mate, they, they, they can't get rid of me quick enough because I'm just yeah. excited about everyone's job. I'm like, yeah, yeah. I'm wrapped and I'm like, can I just stay and watch? Because these guys are doing fucking, like, because yeah. again, you don't know that. You don't if you didn't go to drama schools or whatever else, you don't know all of the different roles and all, all you see is one side of it. Yeah. So being yeah. there on set, even like on, on, on one of the the first scenes I did, it was on like a Guy Ritchie film that I ended up being cut out of. But I was so happy that for the first couple of takes, I wasn't on camera because I couldn't stop just looking around at everything. Because it, yeah. it was like a painting. It looked yeah. like a painting. And I'm just like we've just walked into like a soundstage and now they've built this fucking amazing thing. And there's people have built the set. Now people are lighting it. Now there's a cameraman and just so many things were just blowing my mind that I was like, I need a couple of takes of this where I'm not on camera. I'm going to ruin every take because I'll be in, I'll be all active. And then I'll suddenly go, Oh wow. (laughs) 
Look at that. How'd he do that? But I love that shit. Again, it's why yeah. I've, I thought at the time I might stop music for a couple of years. As soon as I started doing this, I was like, nah, this is it now. Mm. There's no turning back because of exactly that. All the wonder that I get to enjoy in it. And yeah, again, but- you'll also know, or you would have probably got that reaction off the people you worked with on that. Not everyone is coming into this with the wonder and excitement. There's a lot of people who are coming into it with entitlement or with whatever else. So, yeah. again, the the vast percentage of my experience is everyone's happy to have that reciprocated yeah. joy. 100%. You, you know, they're yeah. happy to have you go, yeah. man, this is amazing, rather than, well, we need that kind of blood and on to the next thing. The yeah. fact that you would have been yeah. like, yo, <laughs> yeah. your whole job is blood. This is yeah. mad. But the the whole cast were like, such incredible people it was, all, it was all female cast and they were just these incredible incredible women that had so much experience and heart and they were coming to theater often from not traditional ways like yeah, whether yeah. The, a theater group had come into the prison when they were doing time and they'd fell in love with theater yeah, you know yeah, stuff yeah, like yeah. that right so imagine this group there's 13 then me and the director and it's like we are all buzzing like but everybody is like can't wait to start this thing it's been years in the making um we had leslie sharp playing the philoctetes the main character and just like shout out to every single member of the chorus it was like absolutely incredible and then so the first day when we walk in and we see the set for the first time it's the first time we've seen what they're going to build at the playing space we just they were, we, we just walked i nearly fell on the floor like people, people were crying we were all stood on the stage holding hands like oh my god and it's like all of the tech team that have just been putting that together were like we've never had an experience like this actually of people being so grateful for just yeah, like for the what work we've built that we've done yeah yeah so it exactly as you say i think people it, are normally going in there with a checklist of what they've done wrong. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Rather than walking in and going, this is amazing, going, well, that's not right. We need a bigger gap, you know, this kind of thing. It's like, nah. Yeah. But it gave the whole thing just this feeling of, like, yeah, total community and, and gratitude. And just, I think when you start a project like that, you know, that's like, you've come out of the rehearsal room and you're kind of day one on stage like that. It, it just felt like the wind was at our backs, you know, that yeah. feeling of, like, yeah, this is the right thing. And it, it, mean, it, was, it means you've already won. Yeah, it's it? a scary that's... thing. Like we're putting on that play. It's, there's a lot in it that's kind of heavy. You can imagine yeah. it's my words. And I think there's a few people that came to see it that just come to see every play that's on at the National and they didn't really know what to expect. And it was too much for them. You know, yeah. I saw a couple of people kind of walking out halfway and I spoke to the director about it. He said, if if you weren't making people, these people feel uncomfortable, if they weren't walking out, I'd be worried. He yeah. said, like, you know. Yeah, what's the point? Yeah. And that made me feel like, wow, OK, we're actually doing something radical because... The people that were coming in and that were buzzing off it, the people that were connecting with it, they were connecting with it in a way that felt like this is powerful. This is powerful alchemy we're creating. You know, one of my f- favorite film directors is Gaspar Noe, and I remember yeah. when Irreversible came out and there was all this controversy over a rape scene that was causing a lot of people to walk out of the c- cinema. And he mm. said in an interview, he's like, "You shouldn't f- feel comfortable mm. watching that." It's a horrific fucking thing. And again, mm. he's done that in so many different things in his career. And in my opinion, it's n- n- never gratuitous. It's never sh- sh- shock value. But his point was the problem is watching a film that has something like that happen and we're just eating our popcorn and not moved. Mm. You should be feeling f- horrible and f- physically uncomfortable. Hopefully not enough to walk out. But if that's the case, that's the case. And yeah, I think there's a lot of that in in art that we've 
steered too much into being desensitized and I'm, again yeah. i'm not saying that we should sh- shock for shock's value but if uncomfortable yeah. stuff's happening it's okay for people to feel uncomfortable yeah that's yeah. that's the realities of it yeah I, f- I, c- I can't remember who i was listening to talking but somebody was saying like show me a place show me a show me a city where this stuff doesn't happen like yeah. and then I'll, then i'll take it out of my artwork you yeah. know you, yeah, yeah, you show yeah. me where, where there isn't murder and gratuitous yeah. violence and oppression and abuse. In a city where we don't have that, then, then I'll take it out of my play. Or my I always, always remember, and this is t- topical, is it's that time of year and I'll probably get in trouble, but I did a podcast with this amazing young woman who was a, a refugee who was brought to this country and in sex trafficking, and she told her story brutally honestly and brutally painfully like she was in tears i was in tears and that had been set up by i think it was red nose day it was one of the big 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 mm. charities and that's set it up it was amazing when it came out they didn't push it at all and the kind of loose feedback i got was it was a bit too raw you know because you know i don't edit anything i'm just like here it is and my argument was nah fuck that <laughs> it, it it's her story to tell so she is allowed, like, if she hadn't gone into the d- d- detail or heaviness, I wouldn't have pushed it. I would have been perfectly happy to go, all right, you know, there's implied bad stuff happened. But she wanted to tell the story because she'd just come to terms with the fact that she hadn't done anything wrong. Mm. The people who had done these things to her had done this wrong. So I didn't feel I was in a position to turn around and go, I need to edit this a bit because it's a bit too raw. It's like, no, this fucking happened. Yeah. Yeah, and you're allowed it. to tell that story. And I think, again, there's so much exactly just say that we want to steer away from. And if you can stand there and say, look, if this if this doesn't happen, then cool. Let's yeah. not do it. But if it yeah. does, it's it it's it needs to be told, you know. It's interesting. And it with goes appropriate back to amounts like... of trigger warnings and all these other things, yeah. that's all that's all understandable. But I don't think we should be able to say, No, you can't really oh Angel Hayes is a great example. She's a, a a a rapper I've been a big fan yeah. of for years, and when she released um, "Coming Out the Closet" or no, cl- cl- "Cleaning Out the Closet," mm. that really graphically detailed the abuse that she'd experienced as a as a child, mm. it was so uncomfortable. But it's her right to tell that story, so I don't think it's anyone's yeah. right to say no because that's them turning it into sh- shame. That's saying no, you shouldn't talk about that. You shouldn't really talk about that. It makes people uncomfortable. It's like, well, yeah, absolutely. stuff like that shouldn't be happening. Yeah. It's this not the talking about it that makes this it uncomfortable. Like, yeah. yeah, it's not the talking about it that's uncomfortable. It's the fact it exists, you know? Yeah, it it it, take, it goes back, it takes us back to like where we started the conversation where we, you were saying like um, about Station Eleven. I don't know if people after having just come out of a pandemic are ready to hear about a pandemic. But the mm. thing is, it's like, actually, if you have been through something like that, like... I, it may be too much for you to hear about it or it may be extremely galvanising to actually hear somebody just straight up just speak the story. And it's like the the choice, the choice that you make about what you're able to take on in what you listen to is like, that's that's your choice. It's about where you're at and what you're full of. And if if you know, like, actually, I'm not ready, I can't go there, I don't want to go there, like, that's your thing. But for, like, Red Nose Day to be like, no, we want the palatable story of... uh, of your trauma, please. Like, the that's, nice version of it, yeah. That's not how it works. But, like, 
you know, this thing, it's so funny. Like, I went to I went to this um, comedy gig the other day. I went to see Ramesh Ranganathan. Yeah. You know, like, he was playing in Croydon. I went to see him. It Brilliant. was wicked. It was so good, right? I never go to comedy. And I was just thinking, this is amazing. I was looking at who was in the audience, and I was thinking, like, it's such a different kind of art form to, like, you know, if I go to the theatre, you sit in a theatre, it's heavy. You're watching yeah. often, like, really, really heavy themes. And I was thinking, it's so interesting, like, how we use different modes of entertainment to either escape or to like go deep in and like I was so glad to have spent like two hours just listening to this guy just talking like just talking just making me laugh just laughing with people everyone's just out in a room to sit together and laugh and it's it's a very I'm so used to really intense experiences of like going to the deepest part of my soul and like you know so well I suppose why I bring it up is like it's all there, man. It's all there. It's what you're ready for and what you need. And I just thought to myself, actually, maybe this is my thing now. Maybe I'm just going to go it. watch that. Yeah. You can choose it. You, you, you know, you can choose which one you go for that evening. You know, yeah. you can go for the deep exploration or you can go for fucking laughing your ass off. Like if, you've, if you're having a really hard life, you might just want to go and sit and have a nice time and not listen yeah. to really hardcore stuff. If you've had like a life that's like pretty chill, then you might want to go to the theatre and hear about some really gritty stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> completely. Well, I'll, 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 I'll wrap things up by kind of asking what's ahead. Obviously, the tour is uh, is starting and the line of is a curve is out April 8th. I think this is coming out a couple of days after it comes out. But yeah, what's ahead? Like here when you talk about watching Paradise come to life and stuff like that makes me think more. Obviously, you've done some, we've not even touched on any of your books in this chat, but we've we've gone into them in previous chats in places. So what's ahead? What's next? What shape is K Tempest to come? I'm working on a book of poems that's nearly finished that I'm really excited about. They're really formal. They're like these kind of almost like archaic like forms of like meter and verse and structure i'm i'm loving this the rigidity of having form to like push against it's yeah. making me think yeah. against structure and yeah. it's just i'm 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 enjoying this process so much it's that's something i'm really excited about that'll be out next year and then i am working on a novel constantly always working on a novel <laughs> like i don't know when i'm going to finish Oops. it or if but i hope i hope i will get to the end of that draft uh, in November towards the end of the year and then I'm, we've got, I'm working on new songs I like to have the next musical project begun before the current one comes out yeah. so that none of the pressure around how it's taken can feed into the germination of what comes next yeah so that I've got new, new songs new songs thinking about what they want to be and then yeah I've got an idea that I'm like there's an idea that I'm kind of just like I can see it. It's like in the corner over there. I'm like walking up to it and walking away. Like it's like I'm not ready to like take the tarpaulin back and reveal like yeah. what's in the corner of the garden. It's like this kind of murky thing over there, but something towards a new play at some point. But sometimes if I don't have the headspace to tackle it, I just I just leave it there, and I know that at some point I'm gonna go and investigate that a bit further. It's it's the best way to work sometimes. Your mind will be doing work on it, whether you want it to or not. You know what I mean? You don't have to come to it face on at the moment. There'll be be little bits going away in the back of your mind in the corner, just just fertilising and fertilising, and then you can go when the time's right. That's it, that's that's, that's it, yeah. And then just touring. I'll be on tour, which is going to be beautiful, I hope. I love it. Well, I'm excited for all of it, and I'm delighted that we got to, to have a little chat. 
Yeah, thanks, Pip. It's always it's a pleasure. A pleasure as ever. And genuinely, from the, the, the second our little Zoom camera came on there, you feel the most you I've seen ever, yeah. I think. You seem yeah. so... You seem happy, excited, but still completely artistic and anal- analytical of everything. And it's, yeah, it's beautiful oh, to bless see. You. Thanks, mate. I love it. Nice one. Bless you. Well, we'll talk again soon. All right. Nice All right. one. Thanks, everyone. And thanks, Pip. All right, I'm going to press stop. Me too. You've been listening to Scroobius Pip's Distraction Pieces. I mean, come on, I told you it was a good one, right? And I told you that's the most at peace I've ever heard, Kay. Just reflecting on some of the achievements, reflecting on the struggles and being excited about the art and the music. Man, I loved that chat. Honestly, I was buzzing knowing I had that chat on the schedule. And then as soon as we we finished, I was up for days. I was high on the positivity of catching up with a pal. I'll be back next week with more wonderful conversations. Of course, you know this. You know this, don't stop. We're like, what are we, seven or eight years in now? Six or seven, seven or eight, at least one podcast every single week. Thank you all for sticking around and listening. It's a beautiful thing. As said... Go and check out that Words Wednesday video I did on twitch.tv forward slash Scroobius Pipio. I think they stay up to, to view on demand for like a month or something, or a couple of weeks at least. So you've got a bit of time, but yeah, I recommend that. Yeah, I'll be back next week and I'll see you then. Until then, stay safe and stay sane. Ta-ta.